Well, I'm going to start off this morning by talking about a good friend of mine. My friend, his name is Theo. Uh, Sadly, my friend passed away last year. But Theo, whenever I saw him, he was very happy to greet me. He would just come running to me and, and, and just be so happy to see me. Uh, Theo was a very simple guy, very uh, easy to entertain. He loved to, whenever we got together, we, he'd be happy just to play catch. And, uh, and even though he loved to play catch, he would be just as happy to, to sit quietly at my side and we would just watch people walking down the street. Um, Theo would come to me when I say come, and he would go when I told him to go. And I think you're kind of figuring out that's my friend, Theo. That's my pet dog. And dogs are amazing that way. They understand the command, come and go. They have a very clear understanding of who their master is and who is supposed to love them, care for them, but they also understand who are there to be loyal and obedient to. Now, as some of you are parents, and we also use those two words, come and go, with our children. Very common uh, commands. We often tell them, you know, come home, come here, come back, come to dinner. We also give the instructions, go, go to school, go to church, go to your bedroom, go, go home. So those are two common ones that we give to even our children. But unfortunately, you know, reality with children, they're probably not as compliant or as obedient as well-trained dogs because children are a little bit more complicated than dogs are. Now, Jesus also uses those two commands for his followers. He says, come, and he says, go. And those commands from Jesus come in the form as, in the beginning of his ministry, he would say, come, follow me. He would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he also tells us to go. He tells us to go and make disciples. And he tells us to go and be my witnesses. We are created by God in his image. And he created us to be his followers. So in a sense, God is a disciple maker. So if we are made in God's image, then we are to be like God and also be disciple makers. When we are asked by Jesus to follow him, and when we become followers of Jesus, we are also asked to be like him. And so if we follow Jesus, and if Jesus makes disciples, then we are also to make disciples. The command to make disciples was uh, some of Jesus' last words. If you look in many of the Gospels, and in particular in the Gospel of Matthew, the last words that Jesus says to his followers before he ascends to heaven is known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, 
The scripture tells us, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. From those two verses, those two last words that uh, Jesus gave to us before he ascended, there are three things there. There are three very simple things to remember that he tells us to do. He tells us to go, he tells us to baptize, and he tells us to teach. Very simple words, very easy to remember. And actually, I'm going to ask you right now just to repeat those. Repeat after me. He says, go. He says, baptize. And then he says, teach. Go, baptize, teach. So that's your assignment, right? Now, just to remember that. Those are the three things that Jesus wants us to do. And if you can remember those three things, go, baptize, and teach, you pretty much have, in a nutshell, what Jesus wants you to do. Go, baptize, teach. No, something I found interesting when you, you think about that great commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples, go and baptize them, and then teach them everything that I have commanded you. If you think about those things, they are very similar to the things that Jesus said that God tells us what we should do. Remember, there was a time when there was a teacher of the law came and asked, what is the greatest commandment? And uh, Jesus told them, the greatest commandment is to love your Lord, your Lord God. And also he said, also love your neighbor. Loving God and loving your neighbor. To love God really means you have to come to him. And when you are to love your neighbor, you have to go to him. So you hear those same kind of commands of coming and going. Whether it's in the Great Commission or it's in the Greatest Commandments. The issue about come and go, where a dog, in particular my pet Theo, he has no issues about coming and going. Sometimes he may uh, balk a little bit, but that's easily disciplined with a dog. But they're very simple. They understand coming and going. There is actually no hesitancy. Uh, As soon as the words come out of my mouth, my dog will come to me. And when I tell him to go get his ball, go get the paper or whatever, he will go. It's almost instantaneous. It's amazing if you ever had a dog to be able to do that. But with humans, it's a little different. And even as Christ followers, I think it's a different kind of experience. I think a lot of us have no problems with the issue of coming. I mean, well, we are pretty comfortable uh, in dealing with that issue of coming to God, coming to Jesus, come follow me. I think we have more of a challenge with the whole issue of going. When Jesus tells us to go somewhere, where God tells us to go do something, that's when we begin to rebel a little bit. That's something that's really hard to accept, and it's something that God understands. Jesus sees that all the time in his own ministry. And in, in the book of Luke, 
in uh, chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, we see some examples of where Jesus encounters some resistance when he tells people to come follow him or to go do something for him. People come up with some hesitation and excuses. And if you want to follow along in Luke 9, verse 57, starting with verse 57, Scripture says, As they were walking along the road, and this is Jesus and the disciples, a man said to to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So here in this encounter on the road, some man comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you. I want to be like you. In that time, when someone says, I will follow you, it's not just literally just getting up and walking with them. It means they will actually begin to learn from them and to use them as their role model, and they're going to probably try to live exactly like the person that they're following, their teacher. And Jesus begins to tell this, this enthusiastic man that it's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough that even foxes and and birds apparently have homes, places that they can go and stay. But Jesus is saying that the Son of God does not even have a home to go back to. That to follow him, to be like Jesus, means there's going to be some sacrifice here. And some of it may be some of the things that we consider our securities, which um, homes represent. It's a safe place to return to. But Jesus is saying to follow him may actually mean giving up some of our securities. So be prepared for that. And that can cause some anxiety. Naturally, it can cause some hesitation to make that decision to follow all the way with Jesus. So they're going on that road, and that's the first person they they run into. They bump into another person. And and in verse 59, it says, He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Kind of cryptic there. But Jesus, as he's talking to one gentleman who comes on his own initiative to say, I will follow you, he turns to another person and says, You, you come follow me. Now, that was an invitation that Jesus kind of doesn't always give to everybody he encounters. He did it with the original uh, 12 disciples. But if you go through a lot of stories where he heals people, uh, people come to, to get prayer from him, he doesn't always offer the invitation to come follow. So it's kind of special. So this gentleman that's standing there, Jesus turns to him and says, come follow me. And the response of this this person says, well, I need to go bury my father. Now, you have to realize this is just an excuse to not follow. Because if, if this man, if his father was already dead, he would have already been taking care of this. He wouldn't be following Jesus on the road like this. So he says, when he says, I want to go back to bury my father, his father's not dead yet. He just says, I have to wait till my father dies before I am free to come follow you. 
It's always an excuse to delay this commitment to Jesus. And Jesus says to the man that this is more urgent than some of your own priorities. Following me has a higher priority than burying your father. And so he says, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. If you want to be spiritually alive, then you will follow me. Then they come across the third, third man on this road. And verse 61 says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So here's another gentleman. Jesus didn't ask him to follow him. He wants to follow, but he already immediately gives an excuse that he can't follow right now. He says, I want to go back and say um, my goodbyes to my family. So here again, this man doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the priority, the importance, the urgency that Jesus says, come follow me. He also gives an excuse that my family is more important than you. And Jesus is saying here that following him is even more important than following your family. And this is kind of extreme for some of the Jewish people to hear because family is a big thing. It's a high value. And there was some precedence here uh, historically. So there's that uh, statement when Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. This refers to a story back in the Old Testament, back where Elijah invites Elisha to, to be a prophet. That God wanted Elijah to tell Elisha to come and follow and, and speak for God. And in that particular case, Elijah uh, allowed Elisha, who was plowing actually in the field, to go back and say goodbye to his, his, his family. So there were some precedents here that, that, that would allow you know, some time to do that, bring uh, closure. But Jesus says no more, that that was something in the past. And now he said there are more urgent things. And he was saying, go preach the word of God. To spread the good news around the world is more important than going back to your families. So in this story, Jesus is encountering hesitation to his invitation to come and then go into the world. And they just bring up excuses. And I have to make a confession that uh, I'm probably not any different than those last two gentlemen. That often I find myself making excuses uh, when I'm late to appointments or I'm not able to accomplish a, a task or something that someone asked me to do. Um, when I even do something to hurt somebody, I'm very easy to, to come up with an excuse or to defend myself or to explain myself away. And, and what I'm trying to say here is that I think a lot of us are like that, is that often we will make excuses 
And when God asks us to do something, sometimes our natural inclination is to automatically go in excuse mode and make up something that explains away why we can't do that. I was uh, having a conversation many years ago with a friend. One of the things guys like to do is when we um, play sports, it's the sports in itself is a lot of fun, right? But the best part is you get to talk and, you know, tell the stories after we play. And um, one, one afternoon after playing basketball, I was talking to a friend. And, and we we're talking about what we we're going to do with our lives and how we we're going to serve God. And at the time, my friend was working, and, and uh, he was just starting a young family. And he said, you know, I feel like God is calling me to go do ministry and, and to serve him. But I think I'm going to have to—I I want to wait till I fully develop my career, you know, pad the, the bank accounts and get everything s- secure for my family. And, and when I— was talking to him, I was saying, you know, you're kind of curtailing what God can do with you because you're kind of going on your time schedule, not versus God's time schedule for you. Because if you feel that God's calling you to, to go into ministry, uh, uh, and you actually want to go to be a missionary. To be a missionary how do you know he is actually asking you to do it now? And you're kind of giving an excuse that you want to build up your security, you kind of want to uh, develop your career, because you don't know next week if you're going to walk on the street and a car runs you over and you've just lost an opportunity to fulfill your calling that God has given to you. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not likely to happen. And, and so my counsel sat there for probably maybe 10 years. And um, it was good to know that in that just a couple years ago, or maybe just a year ago, he decided to go to Japan to be a missionary. His name is Mark Bellow. And actually, we'll have an opportunity to see him and his family in December. They're going to come visit. But he, he told everybody that he felt it was something that God had placed on his heart to go to Japan to help minimize or to lower the suicide rate in Japan, which is very high for young, young people. But he quit his job, moved his family. And so maybe it didn't happen 10 years ago when I was talking to him after basketball, but it, it actually, I was kind of proud of him to, to make that hard decision where his kids are just teenagers, but he was doing really well in his career, but to stop that and then to uplift his family and become missionaries. But here, Mark felt the urgency, what God was calling him to do, and he was willing to make the sacrifices to go immediately, or as soon as possible, and maybe sooner than he expected, to go and do something that would build the kingdom. When we um, are asked by God to do things, what kind of excuses do you come up with? 
I uh, sat around and I often ask people, especially when we're going through this multiply series, there are some challenging questions that come out of the, the book if you're reading along with it. One of the things that they ask is, um, what ways do your life reflect that you've been transformed by the Word of God? Do other people in the community, in your circles, recognize you as a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, they don't just know you as a good person, but do they know what you're doing is actually because you're a Christ follower? And that can be a very convicting question because everybody can look at you and think you're a nice person and you do good things because you're, you like to help others, but do they know that you're actually a Christian? And, and when I asked a challenging, more challenging question to some of my friends, I asked, well, what are your excuses or reasons for not going, baptizing, and teaching? Coming out of the Great Commission. And some of their answers are like, well, I'm kind of busy. I'm kind of tired, and maybe it's laziness. Uh, some are honest and say, I'm actually afraid. Um, others would say, I'm not confident in knowing what to do or what to say. All are possibly legitimate, say, like, I'm busy with my family. I have to care for an elderly parent. Whatever, these are all reasons that could justify not doing it, doing what Jesus says. But if we actually are truthful, they're all excuses, just as much as those examples from the story from Luke of those men on the road. I need to take care of my dead father. I need to say goodbye to my family. But I think what I'm trying to say here and what God's trying to speak to you this morning is that it may be better to be like Mark Bello. It is better to be maybe like another person in the Bible named Philip. And we'll find this gentleman Philip in the book of Acts. Philip is uh, or was one of the seven men in the developing and birthing of the new church, there were some growing problems. And the Jewish leaders, who were the original ones called by God, and eventually Gentiles joined the church, but the Gentiles, represented by the Greeks, were having some issue with some distribution of food. And the widows weren't getting their food in the Greek community. So the apostles, who were all Jewish men, said... Uh, well, why don't you pick seven men to take care of this, seven Greek men? And among those seven Greek men was a man named Philip. And Philip would become a, an evangelist. He would go in, around the countryside and, and, and share the gospel. And we see his story here in Acts 8, where he gets called by God to, to actually go and... Um, he, he does not hesitate. He complies with, with God and, and follows through here. And we see in Acts 8, verses 26 to 39, the story. And in this story, we see the example of Philip, someone that is given to us an example of someone we should be like. And in that story, those three elements 
of the Great Commission are evident. Remember what I asked you to memorize, right? To, to, to start to learn about going, about baptizing, and teaching. They're found in that story in Acts. In verse 26 from chapter 8 of Acts now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So... Right there, in that beginning of the story, the word go is seen twice. And we, we get that also from the Great Commission. So you do see the word go. God tells um, Philip to go to this, this eunuch in a chariot. An angel of the Lord interacts with, with Philip. Philip, without hesitancy, changes direction and goes down this desert road to find the eunuch. Now, what's kind of missing here, if you don't get it, is that this eunuch is on a chariot. So he's moving at a pretty good clip. And so you have to see Philip kind of running to this chariot, and he's running alongside of it. So that's not an easy thing to do if you ever tried uh, running alongside somebody on a bicycle or something like that. It's Take some some energy to do that. But here, Philip has no hesitancy. He goes, finds the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the eunuch says he, it says here that the eunuch is in charge of a treasury. So he's a pretty high-ranking official. And, and it, I believe later we find that, oh, no, it says here that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, which is also something kind of unusual because in, in Jewish law, eunuchs are not allowed to be even close to the temple among the, the assembly. They're kind of banned because they are uh, kind of marginalized people. They're, they're, they're eunuchs. And, and here we find that in spite of that, he was actually truly trying to find God by worshiping in Jerusalem. And also the eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. And you're kind of curious, well, why the book of Isaiah? Well, in Isaiah is kind of, much of Isaiah is a prophecy of, of Jesus, of the Messiah coming. But in the book of, Messiah, uh, of Isaiah, there is a scripture verse that says that eunuchs will be blessed in the new age. So the, the eunuch is finding some solace, some comfort in reading the word of God. And Isaiah speaks to him very specifically. And so the spirit uh, moves Philip to go to the chariot. So the first part of the Great Commission is, is found here. The next part, teach. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And here we see Philip fulfilling another part of the Great Commission, is that he is available to help somebody understand God's instructions to him, God's word, his scripture. 
the eunuch is reading this, and, and it's when one reads in those times, they're often actually reciting it orally. So that's why um, uh, Philip could, could understand what, what the eunuch was trying to read, because he's probably reading it aloud, and he was hearing it. And so he knew he was reading from Isaiah. But more importantly, Philip made himself available by first coming alongside, literally, the eunuch, and then hearing what the person was reading was available to explain what he was reading. And essentially, that's what teaching is. It's not just transferring information arbitrarily, but it's helping somebody else learn something. So that's true teaching. And that's the basis of the word in the Great Commission to teach. It begins to tell other people about God and God's plan for that person. And it begins always, most importantly, with the Scripture, with the Bible. Because that is the only tangible, written discourse of what God wants for us. It begins there, so it behooves us. If we truly want to follow, be followers of Jesus, we got to know what's in the Bible. We have to read it, understand it for ourselves, so that we can come along someone else to be able to help them understand. I'm always kind of uh, uh, challenged when I'm, I meet uh, a lot of long-time Christians. Uh, a lot of times, reading the Bible is not an issue. Uh, I think that's something that many people say they can do. I'm a little dismayed that after many years of reading the Bible, that sometimes a lot of people don't really understand what's in the Bible. And all it takes is maybe just spending some time with someone else to help guide you through it. If that's something you desire to do, don't, don't hesitate. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel uh, lacking. It's important to understand what, this, what God has in his Bible, what he talks to us through the Bible. So just as the eunuch here, the eunuch takes the initiative and says, how am I supposed to explain, uh, understand this? There's no shame in that. Take take the initiative that the eunuch took here and someone like Philip can help guide you through it. That's the second element that comes out of the Great Commission and then the third one about baptizing. And in verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then he says, Let's, let, let me get baptized. He says in verse 38, uh, the eunuch ordered the chariot to be stopped. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. What's indicated here in the whole thing about baptism, baptism is something that marks one as being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's uh, symbolic of that, but there is also kind of uh, spiritual uh, spiritual effect of getting baptized, and I encourage those who, who may not have been baptized, but you've made that commitment, please do. The eunuch here immediately 
said, well, is there any reason why I can't be baptized? And, and Philip said, no. As soon as one desires to make that commitment to follow, it doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you're perfectly mature. If you desire to follow Jesus, get baptized. It's in obedience to what Jesus calls us to do. And even if you haven't done it uh, initially when you follow Jesus, it's never too late. Maybe it's 20, 30 years down the line, you still haven't. Please do. It is one of the marks to be obedient is to, to be baptized. And so here the eunuch gets baptized, and it's a demonstration of his true transformation that he desires to do this. Also a second sign here in the scripture that, that he is transformed. It says here that, that the eunuch goes away rejoicing. So whenever you hear or see the word in the scripture that says someone is rejoicing, it means that the Holy Spirit it has been moving in them and giving them a joy, rejoice, joy that is not known by any other form except through an interaction with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of cryptic. It's kind of a secret code. But whenever you see rejoicing, it's not just human happiness or giddiness. Rejoicing is a transformation by the Holy Spirit. So the important principle that we see here to hold take away from the story from Acts, the important principle here is the availability of Philip to have a conversation with the eunuch. It's to be at his side, to be able to answer his questions. And that's, that's all God wants us to do in loving our neighbor. One of the primary things is just to come alongside somebody, to be available for them, to have those kind of meaningful conversations. I was having lunch with with uh, one of Terry's cousins. He, he's a, a non-Christian. He actually professed to me that at this time in life, he's come to the conclusion that he doesn't believe in a God, that he says, I think I'm an atheist. It's kind of sad for me to hear when people say that, because generally, when you're professing that you're an atheist or there's no God, then you really have essentially no hope. Um, but when he was saying this, he actually asked me this question. He asked, well, what's the church all about? What do you do at church? And it's kind of a thing where in my life right now, God's giving me these opportunities to talk about church, about what it means to be a Christian, without even bringing it up. I mean, I, I'm kind of probably just as like a lot of you, not often one-to-one to end conversations by talking about Christianity and my faith. But in my world right now, people come to me and they actually ask me those questions. And so it actually makes it easy. So Terry's cousin asked me that question, and I said, well, and it came in a context, too. We were talking about uh, social media and, and how social media has, you know, kind of, uh, kind of entwined into our daily lives. And we were talking about Facebook, Twitter, and all that kind of things, Instagramming. And, and he's, he asked me, uh, so you seem to be uh, active in, in Facebooking and things like that, so why do you do it? And I said, well, part of it is because it, it helps me to, to relate to other people. Other people can see my life, I can see their life, and it's just another tool or a way of communicating and in some ways building kind of social relationships. And I said, that's important because as a Christian, 
I need to be able to relate to other people. And he said, well, well, that's good that you want to connect. But in the bottom line, at the end of that interaction, isn't it your purpose to convert them? And so when, when I heard that, that statement, it was kind of un, un, uh, uncomfortable a little bit. But I was thinking fast, and I came up with my good response. I said, no, no, I, I don't convert anyone. Uh, it's not my, my ability to do that. Actually, God converts people. People trans, transform people. I don't do any of the transformation. So all my, I'm doing is just to be able to, to connect with people and allow God to transform them. But my main purpose in serving God in the context of these social media things and relating to other people is to be able to be available to them to answer questions about the church, just like you are asking me now. And that's what God wants us all to be. It's just to be available. And we may not know the answers to all those questions, but we at least can help guide them to where they can find those answers if they're too challenging for us. At this moment, is God nudging you to do something for him? And maybe your natural inclination is to come up with an excuse. Is there someone in your circles of relationships that God wants you to be available to answer their questions? I want to bring up uh, Michelle Conishiro and Michelle Shue right now to, to share their story about how God kind of nudged them to be available for someone else to answer questions or have questions answered. So why don't we give them a warm welcome so they feel comfortable here. We'll let you share mics. So why don't you quickly um, go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell a little bit about yourselves to, to everyone. Hi, I'm Michelle, senior. Um, I've been coming to CLC for about 21 years. Um, I'm married to Bruce, and we have two kids, Devin, nine, Emmy, five, and um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I've been a Christ follow- follower for about 20 years. Uh, hi, I'm Michelle. <laughs> I am a senior at Cal. I'm studying public health, graduating this December. Um, I was born and raised in a Christian home in the South Bay, and I've been coming to CLC since uh, the spring of 2012. Okay, so for... For um, everyone here to understand, what caused you to make this commitment to meet with someone? So um, when the church uh, announced that they were doing another round of the mentoring program back in the spring, I knew that I wanted to participate. Um, And so when I got the sign-up card, there were two boxes to check off seeking a mentor or being a mentor. And so I had no hesitation checking off that I wanted to, uh, that I was seeking a mentor. Um, But then I felt God was nudging me to perhaps consider being open to being a mentor 
and I sense that um, he wanted to stretch me at this season of my life. So, um, so reluctantly, I checked off that box of being a mentor, and what do you know, he paired me up with Michelle. Yeah, so I participated in the first round of the Mentoring Connection um, and I had a really good conversation with Alice. Um, and then so when the second round came around, um, yeah, I wanted to do it again and just get to know more people um, at CLC. And um, yeah, even though we didn't, I was matched up with Michelle and even though we didn't have our first like formal meetup until CLC retreat, um, it was just really good and I got to uh, hear a lot about um, her life and meet her family and um, yeah it's been a really big blessing to me so far and going into to your first meeting were there any um, hopes or even reservations that you both had <laughs> yeah definitely I had a lot of fears and reservations um, I felt inadequate in my spiritual maturity I had fears that I may not meet Michelle's expectations. Um, and then I feared that since technically I was the mentor that I needed to have it all together. Um, I needed to be super spiritually mature. I needed to have all the answers. Um, and then as far as hopes, I was definitely looking forward to forming a new friendship with Michelle and, and getting to know her better. For me, reservations, i never really been in a mentoring relationship like um, this before, uh, so I kind of didn't know what to expect, and also I was really worried that I would be a burden or inconvenience on Michelle's already really busy schedule, um, so that was the biggest reservation. Um, but for hopes, I think, um, yeah, I really wanted to form a really good God-centered relationship with Michelle and learn from her past and current experiences of how um, yeah, she experiences God and has experienced God in her um, post-graduation life, her career, her marriage, and her parenting. Well, you can go ahead and answer the next question first, just to change it up here. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you share, um, in your times of meeting, what you've kind of learned or able to appreciate the other person mm -hmm. that you met with? Um, I really appreciate the way that Michelle um, is really intentional with me and um, is really open to sharing uh, the ways that she's struggling. And um, yeah, I really appreciate her dealing with my really long and rambling emails quite often. And um, yeah, just the way that she remembers all the details of things that I bring up things that I don't even remember telling her, but, um, and then brings them up and asks about follow-up questions about them the next time we meet up. Uh, so it's been super encouraging, and I'm really thankful to have her always praying for me. Oh, okay, so what, one thing that I really appreciate about Michelle is just her spiritual maturity. Um, I did not know the Lord in college, and so I really appreciate it and admire how with all that she's going through and nearing graduation in a few months that with all these major life decisions that God is in the center of all of her decisions um, in regards to life after college and family and relationships. 
So the last question, can you share something that will encourage others who may be a little bit hesitant in, in hearing this, this nudging from God to have these meaningful conversations? Um, I would say if you're considering being a mentor, um, don't be intimidated by the title. Um, it's not that you need to be older, wiser, super spiritually mature, and have all the answers. And even though I am older than Michelle, and I could be her mom, um, I, I like to consider myself the cool older sister. Um, so, it, um, and I think during these past several months of getting to know Michelle, I think what God has been teaching me is um, just simply to be available to Michelle and to be a good listener, to ask good questions, to pray for her, and following up. And I think as long as um, you make yourself available to be used by God and open to his nudgings and promptings that God will honor and bless um, your obedience, and I've been really blessed by Michelle's friendship, and so I'm really thankful that I um, listen to God's voice. Um, yeah, I think that uh, having people who are older than you and further ahead of you in life, especially other Christians, is a really invaluable blessing. I think for me, these conversations help to uh, continually remind me that there is a world outside of Camp Berkeley campus, and um, yeah, I've been really blessed by our friendship as well, and I've learned a lot just by um, talking and kind of observing the way that Michelle lives her life. Um, yeah, and I think that I've seen the ways that um, a lot of people at CLC are really good role models for how to continue to live a Christ-centered life after graduation. All right, thank you. Why don't we give them a hand for, for sharing? Now, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He tells us to go and make disciples. And, and it's pretty clear. It's a pretty clear command, instructions to all of us who, who profess to follow Jesus. And, and unfortunately, a lot of us don't take that, that command very seriously. And in some ways, it's very sad. And during this series, we're, we're trying to learn what it means to multiply, because that is the heart of God. Those are the instructions that God gave to his people from the beginning of time. He said, go forth and multiply. And it's the same one that Jesus says here, go and make disciples of all nations. And so it, it behooves us. It, it's important for us to understand the importance and the urgency of that command. It's not good just to be happy and satisfied in our little foxholes. Jesus tells us to go, and it may be costly, it may be uncomfortable, but that's what it truly means to follow Jesus, is to get out of our comfort zones and then go. So when we hear that command, which is supposed to be loud and clear, we diminish it to kind of little whispers. And so maybe those little whispers we feel are little nudgings from God. And just as Philip got a nudge, Michelle got a nudge, my friend Mark Bellow got a nudge. 
but in their, to their credit, they answered those nudgings. And so here this morning, I'm, I'm challenging you. I am uh, encouraging you. If you hear those nudgings from God, take them seriously. Feel the urgency and the importance because God doesn't nudge you if it wasn't important, if it wasn't supposed to be something that's urgent. We're going to go through another season now of, of inviting you to, to these meaningful conversations. Uh, it is a stepping stone to mentoring, but we're not even asking you to commit to mentoring. All we're asking is that you take time just to meet somebody else in our congregation, just to have a coffee, to have lunch, maybe simple meal together, breakfast, whatever. Just take one, a little moment now, and there's a card in your programs that allows you to fill out information about yourself. And I hope that you get a chance to just make that commitment, that God may be nudging you just to check off a box. Um, in particular, if the cause calling you to mentor, just like Michelle felt that that. Uh, that urge and nudging from God. But if you want to do that, you can check off that special box there that's on the card. But I hope that, that a lot of you will make that time, stop making those excuses to go and spend one time with someone else in our congregation. I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. And during the, during the, the song that plays after I finish, during that time, take time to reflect on what God may be saying to you, and maybe it is a time and a moment for you to make this commitment. So Ernie and, and the team want to call him up. Dear Lord, you came down to be God in real man form through Jesus. And Jesus, you exemplified what it means to be in the kingdom of God. You loved us. You sacrificed for us. You taught us. And if we profess that we really want to follow you, we would be just like you. That we would also go like you, like you came and you met us in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces. You also baptized us, and you helped others to get baptized. So may we fulfill that command to baptize others too. But more importantly, you tell us to teach others. And teaching comes in many forms. It means living life together. It means sharing. But it does also come to understanding your words. And the best form we have is the words that are given to us through the scripture, through the Bible. So may we diligently study your word for ourselves, but more importantly, to be able to teach others. Just to answer their questions is all that you ask us to do. So bless all here. May they hear your nudgings and may they follow through and stop making the excuses, but make a commitment that will transform others. So I thank you, Lord, for your ever-loving grace and mercy.
and it's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.